Good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kate. Um, you're probably more used to seeing me standing outside waving and shaking hands and saying hello to everybody, but um, I am feeling very privileged to be given the opportunity to come up and bring the word this morning. And I've got to say that when I saw the plan and I saw which week I was getting to preach, I was very excited because uh, uh, this is such an awesome thing to be thinking about when we start to talk about when the Holy Spirit came yeah. and came to live in us. So I'm going to show my age just a little bit here. And so I don't feel so bad about it. Those of you who are probably a little bit younger than me or older, when you know what I'm talking about, let me know so I don't feel quite so bad. Okay, so, uh, Sam, we've got a photo of a, a dude here. Does anybody know who this guy is? Okay, Tim Shaw. We, okay, some people know the name. Okay, and then we talk about the company name Demtel. Yeah. Okay, what happens when I stay? We're going to pull out some what? State knives. Okay, I've got some people on board who know what I'm talking about. So, for those of you who are a little younger than me, it might surprise you to know that once upon a time there was no such thing as an infomercial on TV. Okay, shocking, I know. I grew up in the, in the dark ages, right? In fact, there were only four TV stations and you had to actually get up off the sofa to go to the television to change the channel. I mean, you had to know it was worthwhile, right? And then, oh, so exciting, we got a fifth channel. Okay, SBS came on for something a little bit more cultural, a little bit different. But I can tell you there were no channels out there that were there purely to sell us stuff. But then, in 1992, Tim Shaw burst into our lounge rooms, he introduced Demtel, and the infomercial was born. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought the Demtel products looked amazing. You know, they were fantastic. I was in my early 20s. Um, you know, and the deals were even better. I mean, it wasn't just one thing. He'd sell you this one thing, and then suddenly there's another, and then another, and then another. And just when you thought it couldn't get any better, he came out with his iconic line, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. And he pulled out the steak knives. Okay, so it's just as well that I had next to no money to spend in those days. Or I would have a drawer full of steak knives. But you know, while Tim Shaw's promise of something bigger and better than what he'd already promised us would have left me with a whole stack of stuff that I didn't need, this morning we're going to look at a time when God said to us, but wait, there's more. And he gave us a gift that was more priceless than anything we could ever have dared to imagine. So today, we're up to part 28, would you believe it, in our 31-week journey through the Bible. If you're new to Hills, all this year we've been going through this book called The Story. And um, basically what it is, is it's a Bible in a different format. And it's given us a fantastic overview of the big picture of God's love for us. You see, when we take a step back and we look at the overarching story of the Bible, we see that it's a love story. It's the story of God creating out of love, but then losing relationship with his creation because of our choice to sin and rebel 
We walked away. Then we see this amazing redemption plan that he puts in place. The plan unfolded throughout the Old Testament. I mean, it was a bit of a rocky road, wasn't it, folks? Yeah? Okay, but then the reality of the plan is excitingly revealed as we read the Gospels. God has actually sent his own son to live with us here on earth for a time to bring us back into relationship with him. Now, two weeks ago, we took a journey through the story to the foot of the cross. Pastor Jay showed us the truth that the cross revealed, the truth about who we are as fallen, sinful humans, but also the truth about who God is and his immense love and mercy that he poured out for us through Jesus. Then last week, Claire brought us the message of the resurrection and the freedom that that brings us to live in the relationship and purpose that God has always intended for us. It was indeed the ultimate fulfilment of that plan that God put in place so long ago. You know, as a result of Christ, God's own son, we can now be called children of God. Our relationship is restored not because of our own merit, but because God has made a way out of his immense love for us. You know, we call this the good news. But seriously, it has to be the best news ever, right? You know, because of, his, because of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, I've been saved, and I've been adopted into God's family. I mean, hallelujah. But wait, there's more. I mean, can it really get any better than this? This is just the best news, but it gets better. This week, we read about Pentecost, the coming of the promised Holy Spirit to indwell the Christian believers. You see, God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us at the resurrection. He doesn't leave us at that point of salvation. He wants so much more for us than even this. So Jesus said that he came to bring us abundant life. And God knows that we can't live abundantly on our own. We need his help. So just like the old Demtel ads, when you think it just can't get any better, wait, there's more. But unlike Demtel, we're not being sold a set of steak knives that we don't need. We're being freely given the gift of God living with us and in us forever. You see, in Jesus, God gave us everything. Then at Pentecost, he gave us even more. Let's just pray. Father God, I just pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would show us more of the love that you have for us and that you would help us to take hold of the fact that you're still with us. You haven't left us at that point of salvation, but there's so much more you have in plan for us. Holy Spirit, come and work in each of our hearts this morning. Amen. Okay, we're going to read how Luke recorded the events around Pentecost. Um, we're reading from Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Then we're going to skip forward to Acts 2, verses 1 to 6 and 14. And it says this, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And going forward into chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, "'Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem,' Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And then Peter, who just weeks before had denied Christ three times in a small courtyard, stood up boldly in front of a huge crowd of people and delivered a sermon that resulted in the birth of the early church. That's transformation. Jesus promised the disciples that God would send the Holy Spirit to live in them. And it's clear, as we read the early chapters in Acts this week, that when he came, he radically changed them. So, I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. But I know that I personally struggled for many years in my faith, lacking power and direction, because I just didn't have a great understanding of who the Holy Spirit was and what he could do, what he wanted to do in my life, if I would just let him. I was certainly saved, and I know that the Holy Spirit was living with me. I saw him growing fruit in my life, and I know that there were times that he enabled me to do particular jobs for ministry. But I'd kind of relegated him as a bit of a distant cousin, as far as my relationship with God went. You know, my desire was to love and serve God with all my heart, but I was looking for the strength to do it in all the wrong places. And that really affected my ability to live authentically as a child of God. I wasn't living out the reality of Pentecost. So as I was preparing for today, I found this article by a guy called Dr. Tom Hermes. And he addresses the lack of power that I was experiencing in those days. He says this, Historically, Pentecost will not be repeated. But personally and experientially, it can and must be repeated. Everything that the infilling with the Holy Spirit accomplished in the hearts of the believers on the day of Pentecost is available to us today. Just hear that again. Everything that the infilling with the Holy Spirit accomplished in the hearts of the believers on the day of Pentecost is available to us today. So today, I'd like to consider three questions. So I haven't got three points, I've got three questions. Just to, you know, shake it up a little bit. 
Um, and I'm hoping these questions help us to take hold of the more that God has given us when he sent his spirit to dwell in us. So the first one is, who is the Holy Spirit? Then how did his coming change those first disciples? But I then think probably most importantly is, so what does this mean for us today? How do we live this out? The first of these is a really, really important question that we all need to be able to answer. Who or what is the Holy Spirit? Without asking this question, we're at risk of either relegating the Holy Spirit to the past, or I think even worse, downgrading him to a vague force that we can tap into. You see, as I was preparing this, I was having a look at what some other people believe about the Holy Spirit. And I discovered that some denominations believe that the Holy Spirit is simply a force that comes from God, rather than a person, a member of the Trinity. As an example, one that I found was that in the Jehovah's Witness Church, this is what they say about the Holy Spirit. They say that, he, that, that it is God's power in action, his active force, and that God sends out his spirit by projecting his energy to any place to accomplish his will. But you know, what I've found is when we read the scripture, we see that the Spirit has all of the attributes of a person. In John 14, 26, Jesus tells his followers, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, let's just hold there for a second, did you hear that? In one breath, Jesus mentions the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he will remind you of, uh, no, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit is spoken of here as an active member of the Trinity. Jesus refers to him. He doesn't talk about it. And he indicates that he's both able to teach and speak with the disciples. That doesn't sound like a force to me. There's a lot of other scriptures uh, when you look at it that also point to activities of the Holy Spirit that cannot be ascribed to a force. Here's just a few. He guides us and speaks what he hears. He helps us in our weakness. He can be grieved. He makes decisions, he gives gifts, and he intercedes for us. So what I see is that scripture clearly shows us the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. And as a church, we need to be clear on this and give honor to him as an equal member of our triune God. I mean, why does this matter so much? Because at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to live in us. If he's simply a force that we can call on, I mean, really, he just becomes a tool that we can use at will. But he's so much more than that. He is our personal connection to God and Jesus. We can speak with him, commune with him, seek wisdom from him. He can comfort us and lead us. He can rebuke us and teach us. And you know something? He can do all of this for us personally at our own point of need. So it's so important for each of us to understand who he is because without this understanding, we risk, like I did for a long time, relegating him to a corner of our lives rather than living in the power that he offers us. So if we understand that the Holy Spirit is a vital member of the Trinity, the next question is, how are the disciples changed? when the Holy Spirit came. 
So when we think back to those first couple of verses in Acts 1, Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift that his father had promised, and he promised them that they would be baptised in the Spirit. So why were they asked to wait in Jerusalem? When you read the end of the Gospels, um, and then into Acts 1, it's interesting to note that there were no conversions recorded between the resurrection and Pentecost. Although the disciples met with Jesus on several occasions before he ascended, afterwards there seems to be this time of spiritual inactivity when very, very little of kingdom significance actually took place. You know, they had walked and talked with Jesus throughout his ministry. They were first-hand witnesses to his resurrection. He'd instructed them to be his witnesses to all people, and yet nothing was happening. There was no doubt that they were saved, but they were lacking power to fulfill the commission that Christ had given them once he was gone from them. Jesus had commanded them to stay in Jerusalem until the Spirit came. Why did he tell them to wait? Because he knew that without the power that comes through the Holy Spirit, they would not succeed. And they were told to wait in Jerusalem because the celebration of Pentecost was coming. So just a side note on Pentecost. The Jewish Pentecost was a festival of harvest, which was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. At this time, the first fruits of the harvest were brought into the temple with thanksgiving. It was a time of rejoicing, and it was a celebration of all the good things that God had done for Israel. Interesting to note is that all Jewish males were required to travel to Jerusalem to be at the temple for the Pentecost celebration. Therefore, there was a gathering of Jews from far and wide with many different languages. It is no coincidence that this is the time that God chose to send his Holy Spirit. What better time to start the church and get the message out there than when there is a gathering such as this? Okay, but what actually happened in the disciples? There's several different terms that are used when we talk about that first Pentecost experience. We talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling or the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus specifically used the word baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the word translated as baptised in this scripture is baptizo. I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but that's how I see it. And it means to cleanse by dipping or submerging, bringing about a permanent change in the process. It can also mean to overwhelm. So as promised, the Holy Spirit came and filled the disciples at Pentecost. It's referred to as baptism because every believer was immersed into the body of Christ, overwhelming them, uniting them, and bringing a permanent change to their spiritual identity. At Pentecost, God said to the disciples, but wait, there's more. They were no longer standing still at the point of resurrection and salvation. They had been baptised, immersed and completely transformed by the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the effects of that baptism were seen immediately. You know, their, their minds and their attitudes were transformed. We saw that in our reading this week. These were the disciples who before that time were still thinking with human understanding. Think about it. 
We read about it before back in, in Acts 1. When Jesus told them this was going to happen, they were asking him if this is when Israel was going to be politically restored. Now that's all changed. At Pentecost, they became Christ-centred rather than self-centred. They were no longer driven by their own needs, their fear, their uncertainty, but their focus became solely on giving glory to Jesus. A time of spiritual dryness became a spiritual flood as the believers were transformed in their minds, their hearts, their words and their actions. They literally burst out from behind closed doors and began the work that Jesus had commissioned them to do. Following that day, they were men and women with a new identity and purpose. And as we read into Acts further this week, we saw so much evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. There was healing in Jesus' name, visions, unity of purpose, and growth of spiritual fruit in the lives of those first believers. They were bold in the power of the Spirit as they proclaimed the gospel, and they lived out the gospel that they proclaimed. Think about, we saw Stephen, who was prepared to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. And then we saw Saul, who had persecuted the Christian believers. He had an encounter with Christ. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he was completely transformed to become the Apostle Paul. And he began a missionary journey that changed the world. What we now know as the Acts of the Apostles was only possible because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Spirit changed everything. So my third question today is what does this mean for us today? You know, we read this week also that Scripture tells us that this power was not just for the first disciples. It's available for all who adopted into God's family. That's you, and that's me. This was preached by Peter on that first Pentecost from Acts 2, 38 to 39. Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So this gets me back to asking the question, why was it that for years I personally most related to the pre-Pentecost disciples, waiting in Jerusalem, hoping for the power that had been promised, but many times feeling powerless, sometimes overwhelmed by feelings of uncertainty, fear, or the stark awareness of my inability to live the way that God had called me to live on my own strength. I really appreciate um, Pastor Mark this morning spoke about, um, uh, what's that term, Mark? Imposter syndrome. Um, because that's why I felt for a long time. Yeah, I knew I was saved, but I just didn't, there was something missing. And there were many of those songs, similar to one that we sang this morning, that I couldn't sing because I just felt that there was something missing. I know it wasn't the fault of God or the Holy Spirit. It was largely caused by my lack of understanding and my inability to take hold of what the Spirit offers me 
And like the pre-Pentecost disciples, I lacked the power to live out the commission that Christ had given me. And yet, we just read that scripture promises us that power. So, as a little aside, a few months ago, I was trying to make a cup of tea. I'd put some water in the kettle, put it down on the stand, flick the switch on the bottom, and I waited. Probably longer than I care to admit, I waited. And then suddenly it dawned on me that the kettle wasn't boiling. So I looked at it and I thought, yeah, okay, it's sitting on the stand and I flicked the switch. And then I looked up and I realised that it wasn't plugged in. It was never going to work because it wasn't plugged in to its power source. And that's what it was like for me for a long time. The Holy Spirit was living in me. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit was available to me. But I just wasn't plugged in. So while I've never thought of the Holy Spirit as a force. As I mentioned earlier, for many years, if I'd thought of it much, it was more of a side note to my faith. That all changed a number of years ago. Um, I was reading a book by Jim Simbler called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I know that some of you out here know that book well. It's essentially a book about prayer. But what it did was it opened my eyes to a relationship with the Holy Spirit that I hadn't understood was even possible before. That was my Demtel moment. Through that book and the discipleship that I was reading at the time, uh, that I was receiving at the time, sorry, in this church, God literally stopped me in my tracks and said, wait, there's more. I can actually point you to exactly the place and time when that happened. And I met the Holy Spirit in a whole new way. This time... I learned to know him as an integral part of the Trinity, alive and working with me every day, personally, at my point of need. So what does it look like for us? How can we live lives that are empowered and transformed by the Holy Spirit? You know, there's so many things that when you read scripture, there's so many things that the Holy Spirit does. Um, he sanctifies us. That is, he makes us holy. Uh, he grows fruit in our lives. He leads us, he encourages us, he gives us gifts, he gives us talents, he brings unity to the body of believers. There is so much that we could talk about, but we do not have time for that today. That's a whole other sermon series. We'll have to talk to Pastor Nathan about that one. However, what I discovered is that before the Holy Spirit can do those things to grow us, we need to allow him the right place in our lives. We need to learn to live in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit each and every day to plug into him and plug into the transformation that he offers. To live depending on the Holy Spirit is to allow ourselves to be led by him on a day-by-day -day basis. It's an active choice to surrender to him and allow him the place of honour in our lives. In Romans 8... Paul writes this. He says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I want that. Yeah? He goes on to say in the following verses that those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. 
So when I read this, I see that according to Paul, it's when we surrender ourselves daily to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that he will have the opportunity to lead and teach us in the ways that will please God. But to do this, we have to put aside our own wants and desires. In John 16, 13, Jesus tells us that when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So this tells me that we can have confidence to know that when we do submit to the Holy Spirit, we will receive the guidance and truth from Christ that will help us to live fruitful lives as Christians. He is the more. The Holy Spirit is the more that God has given us. He's kind of like the cherry on the icing on a pretty spectacular cake, yeah? He dwells in us to lead us and help us to become more like Christ. Please don't hear me wrong this morning. Our salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. But it's the Holy Spirit living within us that gives us the power to live out that salvation here and now. Not only is he more, but he has so much more for us. There is so much that he wants to do in our lives each and every day. Just like the first disciples, this choice that we make to live depending on the Holy Spirit every day can change everything. Tom Hermes makes this statement. He says, When the Spirit of God is allowed his rightful place in our lives, there will be vitality and power. Not cheap man-produced energy, but genuine spiritual power and vitality. So as you consider the story of Pentecost, are you hearing God saying, but wait, there's more. Like me, do you need your own personal Pentecost? A renewed love relationship with the Holy Spirit? Are you frustrated by a lack of transformation in your life? And have the unnerving feeling that there just has to be more than going through the motions of following Christ? You know, we all have a daily choice to make. Do I follow my own path and what seems right to me? Or do I surrender to the Spirit and seek his way above my own? The transformation that the power brings is available to all who are called children of God, but we have to choose to plug into him. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's plan and intention for all of us to bring about a permanent change in us and to empower us to live out our salvation. My challenge to you today is to invite the Holy Spirit to continue the work that he began in you when you were saved. If you're hearing God's voice this morning and he's speaking to you and saying that he has more for you, then I want to say to you the Holy Spirit is calling. When we finish the service this morning, there's going to be a prayer team at the front. If this is your prayer today, then please come and meet with them and receive the blessing that God wants to pour into your life. Because you know, in Jesus, God gave us everything. But at Pentecost, he gave us even more. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that your love for us is so immense. 
that you not only sent your son to live, to die, to be resurrected and to live and to, to bring us life, bring us salvation, but you've also sent your Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us. Holy Spirit, come. We pray that you will just come and fill us afresh. Teach us your ways and help us to live for you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to live in dependence on you each and every day to make the choice to surrender to your will and to seek your wisdom. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the faithfulness that I see in this room. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to grow together in unity and to continue to to work towards becoming the church that you would have us be in this community. We just pray these things in your son's name. Amen.